This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Czech automaker preps for 15 petaflops. And quantum computing comes to life. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with Top500.org. I'm Addison Snell, joined again with Michael Feldman. Michael, this week in HPC, we've got a couple of news stories to get to, as well as a special episode that's going to come out later that's an interview with Stanford Med about machine learning for personalized medicine. But before we get to either of those things, let's just do a quick recap on the big bombshell story from last week, which we dedicated a full story to. And that was the allegations against Supermicro for inserting a spy chip into servers that could potentially be used for HPC. It's a week later. Do we have any more clarity on this now? Uh, No, I would say we have even less clarity. Uh, The people that were denying it before are still denying it again. There's Supermicro, Amazon, Apple, and others. But also now we've got the U.S. government in the mix. They're also sort of denying that this is a, a thing, at least officially. They had the FBI make a statement, sort of a non-statement. And oddly enough, the Department of Homeland Security, I'm not sure what exposure they have to this story, but nobody officially in the U.S. side is is saying that this is a real thing, um, which uh, I'm not sure is as... as uh, relevant as as maybe even Amazon and Apple uh, doubling down on their denials again. Since you know, as as we said last week, those are public companies. They can't put out false statements, no matter what the what what the motivation, or they'll get in a lot of trouble with the SEC and their investors. So, I, I think uh, there's also been some questions raised about how Bloomberg has interpreted some of their sources. One of their sources actually was questioning how they were portrayed or how they sort of digested what was told to the Bloomberg reporters. So I think there's more confusion than there was when the initial story came out. And uh, I think people still don't know how much veracity this, uh, this story actually has. Bloomberg, for its part, has essentially doubled down. They've reiterated yep. that they've rechecked all of their sources and they're confident this was not a a story with just one source behind it. This seemed to be a fairly well-researched and cross-referenced story. Uh, Kieran McCarthy in the Register does an excellent job recapping uh, how this is all falling out on both sides. The most uh, vociferous denial seems to be coming from Apple, where they are saying categorically that this is not a true story. But on the other hand, Bloomberg is is very clear about its sources. So we said last week it felt like we were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. It seems like it, it hasn't dropped yet. Each side is getting a little more backed into their respective corners. And it seems like there are a few options at play. One is It's a true story, and for various reasons, people are trying to deny it because they don't want it to be a true story or perceived as a true story. Another is that it's not a true story, um, and Bloomberg was somehow victim to a misinformation campaign where uh, where people had it in their interest to feed a sto- such a story to Bloomberg, which could again come back to the U.S. government. This is a, a possibility raised by uh, Kieran McCarthy in, in his story on the register. So we're kind of waiting to see how all this plays out, but it is still a, a big pile of confusion. Yeah, it is. It's still making all the 
server makers uh, nervous and certainly their customers and and not even just server makers even uh, storage vendors as well who use micro or super micro boards uh, this has a a wide effect a lot of people are going to be uh, impacted if if this is true and even if it's not true it's like i said it's making a lot of uh, vendors and their users nervous let's turn to some of the news stories from this week i thought one of the interesting ones is that skoda auto which is a czech auto manufacturer not one of the first ones that generally leaps to my mind on the hpc space but nevertheless they are now preparing for a new 15 petaflop data center yeah, I mean, that's sort of a surprising announcement. Most automakers don't want to tell you what their HPC infrastructure is like, even the amount of infrastructure they have. Skoda's uh, come and said they they're, haven't built this yet, but they're planning to put in 15 petaflops, which is about, they say, about 10 times as much as they have currently. Now, they didn't say where that infrastructure is coming from, if it's one or two or more systems or and who the vendors are, but uh, they've committed to to making this uh, a reality and again not even specifying the time frame the the idea is they are actually trying to move from a traditional automaker into what people are now calling sort of the mobility business where people are starting to build you know self-driving autos uh, networked uh, mobile uh, computers that are connected to these systems and have just a more general product set than just selling you know, single automobiles that people buy and or lease, and then and then go on about their lives. It's a broader sort of um, business, and you need more sort of infrastructure and computing power to do that. One of the things they're going to get out of these 15 petaflops is to do some of these simulations and modeling for these different types of of products and services that they they plan to roll out in the next 10 years. Yeah, there are a few interesting things about this that you highlight in your story in top500.org. One of them is that this is uh, using water-cooled systems. This has been a trend that we're noticing at Intersect 360 Research uh, in our different studies is that water cooling is becoming more prevalent. This is something that end users are, are looking for, and they're talking about uh, how they're using a glycol-infused uh, water system, what they're going to do with all the excess heat and the like. Another interesting thing here to me is just the magnitude of this that's um, not on our general radar. When we put out market sizing, um, as we recently did in a vertical markets report for the HPC market, talking about uh, large product manufacturing or automotive and aerospace is one of these major segments. Uh, and you can find that report on our website now at intersect360.com. And in fact, you can get access to individual reports there now as well. But when we look at the market sizes, there's a tendency for people to say, well, here are the big guys and they don't add up to as much as you've got in the market. Um, this is really just showing that there's a, a broad market beyond the, the top tier that can really keep going through the supply chain, through manufacturers that you're not thinking of. There's a lot more HPC out there than people realize. And this is a, a good example of that. One final point you make in your article is that uh, we're starting to see more industrial end users being a little more open about what they're installing. I think this is true, particularly in Europe. We've seen with uh, ENI as uh, the largest publicly known oil and gas installation now, BASF with chemical engineering, and now Skoda Auto. Um, you think this is something we might see more of? Well, I mean, I think you're right. I think this is, this is 
going to be mainly in in Europe and maybe maybe in Eastern Asia as well. That those companies there tend to be a little less uh, secretive, let's shall we say, than than the American-based companies. I don't know if we're going to see a lot more, but we're going to see a lot more bigger systems on the ones that are announced, since now all these systems are moving into the petaflop range. I mean, if if Skoda announces this system or systems uh, and makes a top 500 submission, it will be the only named automaker on that list, which is something in itself. I mean, there's, there's a lot of major and minor automakers and none of them, I think there's one anonymous automaker on the list now and it's it's way down there. This would be near the top of the list and would be a, you know, a, a semi-major automaker. There's no GMs, there's no Fords anymore. None of these guys have uh, submitted Limpack in in years and years. So that's that would be something. But I don't think there's going to be a general move to become less secretive, just maybe in some of the, the bigger systems coming out of Europe and maybe uh, in, in Asia as well. Right. So that's not to say the GM or Ford or Toyota or somebody, you know, Volkswagen doesn't have a, right. a top 500 caliber installation, just that they're not running Limpack and submitting it. They're they're happy to just yeah. sit on what resources they have and not tell anyone else. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I would say when you see something like this, I think that indicates that those major automakers do have something at this scale or perhaps even larger. I mean, Skoda puts out a million cars a year, sells a million cars a year to you know, dozens of countries, but it's not the biggest automaker in the world by far. These other companies have to keep up with this. They're also moving to this AI-infused mobility service market as well. They have to do the same sort of things. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's just a lot of untapped uh, petaflops on the list, or not that not on the list that we just uh, don't see because they're not public. Which is why you need to go to your favorite market research firm to get analysis of how much HPC there is in the auto industry and, and our vertical markets report. All right, let's touch one more news story here. I was very interested in this one in your story on top500.org, which is um, that scientists are now saying they've got a model of life evolving using quantum computing with a five qubit system from IBM. Yeah, this was very interesting uh, development, and and like it's only a five qubit system, which you would think is not very powerful. I mean, this is a one of the, sort of the prototype systems for what was supposed to be like eventually a production system that's supposed to have fifty or more qubits. But this, they were only they only needed five to do the the type of initial research they needed to do, and and basically uh, build up an evolution model that mimicked Dar Darwinian evolution. And actually, they only used two qubits for the for sort of the genetic part of this, or the the, the storage of the genotype took one bit, and then the storage of the uh, the phenotype, which is the the expression of the genotype, took another, and then they used other qubits to do some of the processing. Um, but they said they actually successfully uh, mimicked this evolution and compared it to what they thought would happen, and sure enough, it matched up. They've They've done this sort of theoretically in the background without having a true quantum computer for a while and even comparing it to, to doing the same sort of thing on conventional computers. And they think they've got something that successfully uh, is, is simulates evolution just with, uh, just with a few qubits on a, on a real quantum computer. So that's quite an achievement. And I think it's the, the first case that's uh, ever been done for this particular application. 
When we look at the near-term promise of quantum computing, a big thing that we look for is what are applications that have a, a relatively small number of inputs, where relatively small might be, you know, a million, right? But it's a, it's a discrete number that a computer can go count. You have a relatively small number of inputs. Then you have a vast potential solution space of all of the things that you might happen or, or different... Uh, or different solutions to explore. And then you're narrowing that down to optimal solutions that are the ones that actually happen. And this is exactly that model of problem where I can take a genotype and a phenotype and feed them in as, as part of my, my, uh, my quantum computing simulation. I can assign a qubit to the genotype, a qubit to the phenotype, and then take the entire solution space of all of the different random mutations that can happen, what genetic information gets passed from one uh, generation to another. That's where you have that infinite seeming, although it's not truly infinite, but an infinite seeming potential solution space and narrow that down to, all right, so what actually happens in the simulation? Uh, that's the kind of application we're looking at quantum computing for. And, and this is uh, exactly what they've done in this space, modeling the genotypes, the phenotypes, modeling in random mutations, modeling in the passing on of genetic information. And they're, they're now saying they're able to show here's evolution at work. Here's a, a computer simulation of evolution that works just like it does in the real world. Yeah. And they hope when they get more powerful quantum computers uh, in the, in the cloud or in the field, they're going to do even more complex simulations of, of whole communities evolving and things like that. You can just sort of imagine what, uh, what they'd be able to do. But this is a, a very interesting start. I think we'll see a lot more in this area now that they've sort of opened this up. I mean, one other thing they, they sort of talked about here is is if this is such a sort of an accurate model of evolution, maybe there is it's more than just an analogy between sort of quantum mechanics and evolution. Maybe there's some underlying process in evolution itself that uses quantum mechanics to actually do what it does. But they haven't proven that with this, this small experiment. They just sort of leave that open as a question. But certainly an interesting application. I think we're going to see a lot more of these in the future, especially now that a lot of these uh, quantum systems are available via the cloud, not just from IBM, but uh, some people have access to the Google uh, cloud quantum computers. And even I think we did talk about this, but D-Wave with their quantum annealing system recently announced that their system is now available for free uh, via the cloud. So some of these applications that have been hunting for for quantum systems to test out some of these theories are going to start popping up. We're going to see a lot of interesting work on the software side, I think, uh, over the next few years as, as more of these systems become available to researchers. Yep. And two big questions that I think the simulation capability brings in. One, what happens if you take it and run it forward as far as you can in time? Does something interesting happen in this simulation? Another would be, can you take current states and start running them back in time? And start yep. looking at where did all of these come from. So th those are some of the things I think quantum computing will help us explore. Okay, uh, we're going to wrap up. But one other thing I want to mention, I'm going to do a, a podcast interview with Jinjin Lee from Stanford Med. And you can listen for that in a separate episode of This Week in HPC. But this is an interesting application that came to our attention 
where Stanford Med has published a study now using machine learning for a type of personalized medicine in exploring a condition called AAA, abdominal aortic aneurysm, which is one of the top 10 leading causes of death in Western countries, but is asymptomatic and often, as they say in their paper, quote, diagnosed upon death. It's a fatal condition. Uh, Stanford Med has done something unique, combining not only all of their human genetic data, but also their animal data with mouse research and done a machine learning model on it to come up with something that's more predictive in terms of whether or not someone is at risk for AAA. Uh, and particularly because there are, there are things that you can do if you're at risk, not only obvious things like uh, not smoking and not being overweight, but increasing your levels of good cholesterol that can uh, lower your risk over time. So it's an interesting uh, application of both HPC and machine learning to personalize medicine in a way that's having real world impact uh, right now. Yeah, that does look like a fascinating application. Yeah, again, another an, another sort of an emerging application area that uh, is susceptible to both HPC and AI together and creating uh, sort of new opportunities for, for an application set. So, yeah, looking forward to that interview, and we can't wait to see what the uh, the researcher says about that. Okay, well, thanks a lot, Michael. I appreciate it, and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.